Ready for that? He shall have it. I thought I turned it on earlier, Russell. I'm sorry. He will have it. He must have it. And he shall have it. This that we just read is the most powerful description of who Jesus Christ is that you will find in the entire Scripture. It is to refute the controversial teaching of a man named Arius, who still lives today through the Jehovah's Witness Church. They claim that verse 15 tells us that Jesus is a created being. Look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. I'll get to that in just a moment, but that was a heresy that Paul was refuting by writing this letter to the Colossian church. Why? Because uh, Gnosticism was gaining ground in the Colossian church. Gnosticism is knowledge. And this was a knowledge that was began by this man, Arius, that Jesus was a created being because it says that he was the firstborn of all creation. Now, we have the same problem today in the Jehovah's Witness Church. They're making the same mistake that was made here 2,000 years ago. Let me say this. If you don't get Jesus right, then you won't get anything else right. Not having to do with the Bible, but having to do with the entire life that you live. The entire existence of the universe. The entire realm of everything around us. If you don't get Jesus right, you'll get nothing else right in your life. Got it? <laughs> Without a correct view and understanding of Jesus Christ, the rest of your life will be meaningless. Hear me again, without a correct view and understanding of who Jesus is, the rest of your life will be meaningless. This is why science will tell us today that you are here by chance. There's no reason for you. There's no purpose for you. There is no goal behind your existence. You are an accident if you listen to science. Paul corrects this heresy 
with a beautiful description of the matchless Jesus Christ. Verse 13. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His Son, of His beloved Son. Who rescued us? God rescued us through and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. God is the beginning. Christ is the continuation or the application which then turns back to God. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that in the end, Jesus Christ will hand the kingdom to His Father. All right? 1 Corinthians 15, I believe. So, Jesus is the application and the continuation of the beginning of what God is accomplishing. God wrote all of this, did all of this, accomplished all of this through the unique person, Jesus Christ. I say unique because He is one of a kind. He was born of a woman. He became an infant. He cried to fill his lungs just like any baby would do. He grew up with bumps, bruises, and bites. And he ended up with scars just like all of us have. Of course, his scars are far more precious than ours. He is 100% man, this unique person, Jesus Christ. And at the same time, yet he is 100% God. God flowed through the veins of Jesus Christ. God filled every breath that Jesus Christ took. God was in every thought, every word, every action, and every purpose of Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 13, He transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. God, several times in the Scriptures, lifted up His Son. Right? At the baptism, he said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. At the transfiguration, he told Peter, Be quiet, Peter, and listen to Jesus. He is my beloved son. Listen to what he has to say. Don't miss this point. If you get Jesus right, the rest of the Bible falls into place. People say, I read the Bible, I don't understand it. It's because you don't have a right thinking of who Jesus is. You don't have a right concept of who Jesus is, a right understanding of who Jesus is, so the scriptures won't make sense to you. But you get Jesus right and who he is, the rest of the Bible falls into place. Verse 14, he says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What is that redemption? That's a word we all are familiar with. It means to buy, to buy back, to buy, to purchase. In Christ we have redemption. He bought us back. No one else could do this. Who did He buy us from? From death. Death is no longer your master if you are in Christ. Death is no longer over you if you are in Christ. You don't have to fear death anymore if you are in Christ. He purchased you from death. He purchased you from the one who brings death, Satan. He's the father of lies. He came to kill, steal, and destroy. No one else could do this. Why? Why couldn't somebody else buy me back from death and from Satan? Because it was a man and it was God who had to accomplish this in the same person. He was a man and he was God who had to accomplish this. God, because he had to be the perfect sacrifice. Man, because he had to be our sacrifice. Amen? 
And so Hebrews tells us about the blood of bulls and goats could not really forgive and accomplish the atonement for sin. It was all temporary until Christ came. The master of the universe came, 100% man and 100% God, to be the perfect man sacrifice for you and for me. He in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Who can forgive my sin? Could I do something to Gail and then go to Gail's sister and ask for forgiveness? Well, you could, but you won't get it from the one you offended. Can I offend someone over here and then go over here and ask for forgiveness from someone else? I could, but I won't gain the forgiveness from this person that I offended. Who can give me forgiveness of my sin? The one who I offended. The one God. Only God can give me that forgiveness. The Bible tells me to confess my sins to the brothers to receive forgiveness. But it's not the sin debt of forgiveness that I'm receiving. It's simply a pardon or a uh, gracious act of asking for forgiveness from someone here that I offend. But the one who forgives me of sin is God. He's the only one who can forgive me of sin in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Now, verse 15, Paul describes this person this man, this God, this Jesus Christ, this Son, we will all see how Paul sees Him as the master of the universe. The first point then is this. Christ is master over His natural creation. In verse 16, 15 and 16, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is the master of the universe because He is the image of the invisible God. All right? That word image that we find there in our text is a Greek word, which is icon. He is the icon of the invisible God. We all know what an icon is. We have them all over our phones. On your home screen, you've got little, you might call it an app, but there's a picture there that is representative of an app on your phone. It is an icon that you are familiar with, and you push, and this opens up an app. It is also a reference to representation, but also manifestation, right? So this word icon in the Greek, let me show you a verse, John 14, 9. Jesus said to Philip, by the way, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Why did Jesus say that? Because Philip said, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus said, Philip, I've been with you this long and you still don't know who I am? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. He is the exact 
representation of God. Again, Hebrews 1, 3. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. Who is this Jesus Christ? He is God coming down here in the flesh. 100% man and 100% God. That's who Jesus is. Showing forth who God is. Always and in everything showing or manifesting who God is. Right? He is master over His natural creation. John 1.18 No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. When I want to know what God is like or who God is, where do I go? I look to Jesus. I look at Jesus. He is the representation, the manifestation, the icon, the image of God. John 17, verse 25 and 26, Jesus said, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is what Jesus came to do to show us the Father, to provide the way for you and I to go home, to be the sacrifice that gained us the forgiveness of sin by our faith in accepting that sacrificial and resurrection day. And so... Who is Jesus? He's all of this. He's the master of the universe, and He is the one who reveals to us God. Let's go back to verse 15. I'm not skipping that. Let's go back. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Does this mean He is first of creation? He is the first created being? That's what the Jehovah Witness hanged their hat on, Colossians 1.15. They tell you that Jesus was a created being. But Paul's going to refute that by the next two verses. Let's look in verse 16. For by Him all things were created. So you mean He created Himself? How can that be? How could that possibly happen? That God could create Himself and then become the first. That God could create Jesus first and then Jesus created all things. It doesn't work. It doesn't happen. Paul is not talking about firstborn in order. Paul is talking about firstborn in prominence, in rank, in power, in authority. When you go back into the Old Testament, you read a lot about the firstborn, don't you? Amen? We read a lot about the the power and the presence and the purpose of the firstborn son. In fact, to refute the Jehovah's Witness claim that Jesus is created, write in your margin on your Bible, Psalm chapter 89, verse 26 and 27. I've got it on the screen, but I want you to be able to understand and talk to someone. Perhaps I pray God would bring someone into your life that thinks Jesus was a created being. You can show them Colossians, then you take them to Psalms, and here it is on the screen, Psalm 89. God is speaking through Ethan. Ethan wrote the Psalm 89. He's referencing the coming Messiah, and he says this. 
He will cry to me, God says, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I also shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. That certainly does not have anything in reference to the time or the order of his birth. It has everything in reference to the rank, position, authority of his birth. Psalm 89, 27. Let's go on. Jesus says about, God says about Jesus that he will have absolute priority over all creation. In fact, he existed before it in verse 16. The Jews had problem with Jesus being willing to accept his claim as being God or the Son of God or even associated with God. And so they held Abraham into highest esteem because he was the father and patriarch of their great nation of people, the Hebrews. And here's what Jesus said about that. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, that's not a plus, I'm sorry, I am. And you know what? They got it. Because they picked up stones to stone him to death. Because he placed himself before Abraham, their father. So, Jesus was before. Jesus created all things. He didn't create himself. He created all things. He was placed by God as the firstborn in prominence over all creation. Amen? You see that? He's the firstborn. Let's go back in the Old Testament again and think about some other people who were called the firstborn, but who were not the firstborn. Go back to Jacob and Esau, or should I say Esau and Jacob. Esau was the firstborn. Jacob was the secondborn. Twins, mind you. Esau first, Jacob second. But who became the ruler? Who became the authority? Who was given the rank when the boys went to their father Isaac to receive the blessing? Of course, Jacob deceived his father and received the blessing of the firstborn. All by God's hand, mind you. Jacob became his name changed to Israel. He became the one who was prominent in rank and in order. Let's go to David and his brothers. King David was the youngest of all of his brothers. Samuel went to anoint the new king and went through all the older brothers and then came to David the youngest. Who received the rank and authority and the highest honor among that family? The little boy David. Not the firstborn, but he received the place of the firstborn. Who else can we think of? We can think of Joseph. All right? Joseph was the youngest of his brothers at that time. His brother sold him into slavery. He goes to Egypt. He rises in power. His brothers come to him. And who has the rank and authority over that family? Joseph. Saves their life, given that by the hand of God. Now, Joseph had two little boys while he was in Egypt, Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh first, Ephraim second. 
when it came time for Isaac or Israel, I'm sorry, to die, Jacob to die, Joseph brings his two sons, two little boys to his father, Israel, and he says, I want you to bless them. Jacob, uh, Joseph, on purpose, takes the elder of the sons, Manasseh, and brings him to his father's right hand. He brings the youngest to his father's left hand. The right hand being prominent in giving blessing. The left hand secondary. Joseph knows that. Brings his eldest son to his right hand's father. What does Isaac do? I mean, what does Jacob do? Swaps hands. Blesses the boys with his hands crossed. Putting the right hand on the younger boy. This upset Joseph and he grabs his father's hand and he says, No, Manasseh is the oldest. And, and Jacob says, I know, son, I know. But it is by God the younger will be over your older. The older will serve his younger brother. You see, it's not always in order when it comes to the firstborn. It is prominence. It is power. It is rank. It is authority. And it's all given by God. Amen? So the firstborn doesn't always mean in order. It means power, rank, and authority. When we read verse 15 here, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Right? He's not the first created of all creation. And if we wanted to get real technical about it, we could and we would. Not this morning. Two different words in the Greek for firstborn or first created. Two different words. Paul uses the word for firstborn in rank and authority, not the word for first created. That refutes the Jehovah's Witness mistake as well. I want to spend a little time with that so that we would all get it right. He existed before that creation. We proved that through the sons and children in the Old Testament. Firstborn refers to the ruler of his brethren. Verse 17. Jesus is not only created, not, Jesus not only created all things, but he existed and he holds them together. Look at that. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If Jesus were to let go, the universe would cease to operate and it would disintegrate right where it stands. Think of that. What holds everything together is not a virtue or an idea or a scientific philosophy. What holds everything together is a person. It says it right there. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. Gravity would stop working if Jesus withdrew Himself and let go. The orbit of the planets would go astray because they could not follow the order that God has as He holds things together. He is the master of His created universe. There's nothing like Him and no one like Him. He is above all things. Verse 16, let's back up a minute and go to verse 13. Paul is not writing theology he says, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved 
son. And I believe in my uh, poor estimation that Paul is dictating to Timothy. All right, the reason I think that is because Paul was not very good at writing. He had very poor eyesight. Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. I believe that Paul was speaking, Timothy perhaps writing down. And I believe that Paul came to this section, verse 13. And I can see him in my mind's eye. He might have been seated by a window. He may have been seated somewhere. He may have even been in prison in bars between him and Timothy. I don't know the exact place that he wrote, but I can see the man sitting there writing about Jesus. And he's writing to this church to put down the heresy that is taking place in the believers. And he comes to a place where he closes his eyes And he says those words about Jesus rescuing us from the domain of darkness and God rescuing us and placing us in the kingdom of his beloved son. And then I see him standing up. And I see him raising his head to the heavens. And I see him perhaps closing his eyes and raising his hands. And he describes what's in his heart about his Savior, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit fills Paul with these words and they spill out of his mouth. He is not writing theology. He is worshiping God. That's what we're reading here. Paul worshiping God. The Lord Jesus Christ describing to us who he is. He is the master of the universe over his natural creation. I see that in my mind. You may see something else, but that's what I love to see. Not writing a Bible verse. He's writing worship of who Jesus Christ is. Don't miss the awe and wonder of these verses, my friends. Don't miss who Jesus is. Don't miss who Jesus is. In the New Testament, a young man who was wealthy and a ruler himself came to Jesus and said, what do I need to do to receive eternal life? Now we've all asked that question. Every one of us has had that question in our heart. And we come looking for answers. This man comes to Jesus and Jesus says, follow the commandments. Obey the commandments. That's a point blank answer, amen? That's just how you do it. You're going to go to heaven, be perfect in the commandments. The young man says, I've done that. From my youth, I've done that. And then Jesus says this, then go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Now, when you came to Jesus, he didn't say that to you. When you came and you said, what do I do to receive eternal life? He looked in your heart and he saw what was keeping you from receiving eternal life. He saw that maybe you needed to lay down your gambling habit. He saw that maybe you needed to lay down the bottle. He saw that you needed to get away from the indecent things on your computer screen. He saw that you needed to lay down your bitterness or your gossip 
or whatever it was, and, and that's what he told you. Lay those things down. Follow the commandments. You say, well, I'm, I'm trying to do that. And then he says, okay, now lay this down. To the young man who came to him in the Testament, he saw that his riches were in the way of him coming to Christ. And so he told him, give it away. We all can associate ourselves with those two statements of Jesus, the commandments and then you need to do something. But most of us stop right there, just like this young ruler. And Jesus finished his second statement with this. And come and follow me. What did that young man need in his life? He needed a king. He needed someone in authority over him. He needed a purpose in his life to live for. The Bible says he turned away sad and left. Some of you have done the same thing. Following the master of the universe is not something that was at the top of your list. It would have been easy, easier for you just to keep the commandments. It might even have been easier for you to lay down what was preventing you from coming to Christ, to serving Him wholly and fully. But not many of us gave stock into following Jesus. What did this man need? He needed a king. What do we need? We need a king. We need a purpose. We need a reason for living. We need something higher than ourselves. We need a goal. And that's what happens when we miss who Jesus Christ is. He is master over everything. His natural creation, of course. Now, the second part, 18 through 20, he is the master over his spiritual creation, which is the church. Let's look at those verses again. Verse 18, he is also, I'm sorry, he is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now we can talk about order. He's the first one to be raised from the dead. You say, wait a minute, Lazarus was raised from the dead. The old uh, boy in the Old Testament of the Shulamite woman was raised from the dead. Au contraire, my brothers and sisters, <laughs> all right? Those people were resuscitated from death to die again. Jesus is the first resurrected to never die again. He is the firstborn from the dead. You see that? Back to the beginning of the verse, he is also head of the body, the church. Now, how is he the master over his spiritual creation? It's done by three ways. He's the head of the church. He's the head of the body. The head and the body must be joined together. The body has many members, as we learn in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians. And the body is dead without the head. That makes common sense, doesn't it? If the head is gone, the body will die. So we may go here to Aaron Springs Baptist Church, but this is not our church. 
We can, and hey, I do that all the time. Oh, uh, I go to my church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's where I go, but I'm part of the body here of His church. He is the head of the church. And I'm not trying to change your dialect. I'm just trying to awaken the idea of how you talk about your church. This is His church. He is the head of the body of the church. We go here to Aaron Springs, but it is, of course, His church. He has first place as head of the church. And then he also has first place because he is born from the dead. Right? The beginning. He originated the church. He is created this church. This church is here to serve him. You and I are to serve him in his church. If you're just coming to this church, you're not fulfilling your purpose in this church. You are to serve the Lord, the master of the universe, the master of the church, you are to serve him in this way, in this body. You are to love this body. You are to serve Jesus Christ here. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the head of the church. He is the firstborn from the dead. He also, number three, he is first because he is the only means of reconciling all things to God. Look in verse 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself. He is the first place because He is the only means of reconciliation that you and I have with God. He is qualified to do that because all of God dwells in Him. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Jesus Christ. Alright? Look at a verse here in Colossians 2. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Corinthians 5, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. It was God's good pleasure for this to happen. It pleased God to reveal himself through Jesus Christ. To show you who God is, he did this. Remember John 14 back? Jesus said, hey, Philip, how long have I been with you? That if you don't know me, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus came to do and reveal who God is. This qualified him to be the one and the means to reconcile you and I together. He is able to reconcile us because he made peace through the blood of his cross. As it says in verse 20, universalism teaches that all humanity will be saved. Everyone will be saved. Whether you are a follower of Christ or not, in the end, God will save everyone. They use verse 20. Let's look at it closely. And through Him, through Christ, to reconcile all things to Himself. Isn't the enemy of God one of the all things? Isn't the unbeliever one of the all things? Of course it is. So how does this play out when we see that God, through Christ, will reconcile all things to Himself? 
When an army defeats another army, the defeated army surrenders and bows the knee to the victorious army in respect. They have now been reconciled. The fighting ceases. When an unbeliever stands before God at the great white throne judgment to be judged by God the Father Himself, there will be a reconciliation when the verse in Philippians chapter 2 is fulfilled and it says, every knee shall bow before Jesus Christ. And every tongue will confess Him as Lord. That is not the believers doing that. That is all things. So as a person is standing before God at the judgment without Christ, they will bend their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. They will call Him the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they will be cast into hell. All things will be reconciled to God. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, all things will be reconciled to God. So, my friends, you need to be reconciled today. Amen? Don't go to that judgment thinking whatever you think because there's no way out and there's no hope for you. You've made your decision in this lifetime. You've walked your decision in this lifetime. Jesus Christ is master over creation and His church. The blood of the Lamb brings peace between God and His former enemies. No forgiveness without the shedding of blood. You and I cannot have the forgiveness of sin unless there is a shedding of blood through His cross. Verse 20. Having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, were there things on earth or things in heaven. So, through His death and resurrection, He has defeated all the powers and authorities of darkness. Paul wants all of us to know who this Jesus Christ is and the preeminence that He holds. Preeminent over the natural creation, preeminent over the spiritual creation. I said at the beginning, the great preacher Charles Simeon stood and read this text and then he said this, Jesus Christ will have first place in everything. He must have it. He will have it. He shall have it. So today, let's dig in a little bit. Does He have first place in you? Is He first place in your heart? Is He first place in your pocketbook? Is He first place in your thoughts? Is He first place in your words? Is He first place over your job? Jesus Christ is first place in everything except some people. Are you one of those today? You can change it right now. You can 
bend your knee to him right now. You can call him the master of your life. But he must, he will, and he shall have first place. Don't wait till it's too late. Do it now. Do it today and make him the Lord of your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for who you are. Lord, we pray today that you would have first place in every heart that is in this room. You've shown us, Lord, who you are. You've revealed yourself to us this morning in this place. You have told us what's coming and what we need to do. I pray you give every person the courage that is required to bend their knee to you now and not the foolishness to wait until it's too late. Father, speak to the heart of every person here. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.